Hi, everybody. Welcome to the June 28th, 2019 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Gazzutti. Thank you very much for joining us. Before we get started, let me take a moment to explain why we are all in Hawaiian shirts. Longtime viewers may remember that Susie Aikman was our floor director for over 20 years. When we lost her to cancer several years ago, we vowed to remember her every summer with a day in Hawaiian shirts, which were her very favorite. So sit back and get comfortable because we certainly are. <laughs> this might be a better trend more than just once a year. Uh, let's get a quick take on the U.S. Supreme Court referencing Colorado's new laws regarding committees drawing congressional and legislative districts in its decision to not get involved with gerrymandering cases. Patty Calhoun from Westward. Uh, Colorado makes its uh, appearance in a, a Supreme Court case. That was pretty cool, but it seems that maybe Colorado voters are showing the example of how gerrymandering is finally uh, 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 handled. What do you think? Well, we did have to share credit with Michigan, so let's True. put that in perspective. Uh, this is because we passed Y and Z last election, which comes up with a redistricting um, committee for independents, for Republicans, for Democrats. It's an eminently reasonable program. However, I think the Supreme Court is a little optimistic if they think the entire country is going to follow Colorado's lead. The fact is the reason this case went to the court is because other states are not as reasonable as Colorado is. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. You are our esteemed lawyer at the table. Uh, legal opinion-wise, is this a big deal? Is this a, the, the earth-shattering political decision of the Supreme Court that some people have been making it out to be? Well, it's the Supreme Court chose not to shatter the earth in the sense that um, since the 1960s, they had been using the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution to impose what they called a one-man, one-vote system. So, for example, that... that ultimately was held to that the, the way the Colorado State Senate was apportioned, which was partly based on geography uh, and the interest people have there, rather than purely on population, that that was unconstitutional, even though many states had that when the Equal Protect, when the 14th Amendment and the Equal Protection Clause were ratified. So the court, I think, decided not to open up a whole other can of worms, because if, if you do that, how are you going to say whether this is too partisan, this is not partisan enough. You know, of course, it, it always comes into consideration. And Colorado, which has been better than some other states on gerrymandering, even with our various systems, is not imperfect. Uh, the, the previous system basically gave the deciding vote on the commission to the appointees of the chief justice, which made it the indirect appointment of the governor. And that's why, for example, even though Republicans won a majority of votes for the Colorado House of Representatives in 2014, Democrats uh, retained control of the chamber. Natasha Gardner, Articles Editor with 5280. Uh, what do you think about Colorado making its appearance in a majority opinion at the Supreme Court and then what the Supreme Court decided? Well, I think as, as sort of highlighted already, it's a pretty optimistic view. This We haven't really proven that it works, but it's nice to say that, okay, Colorado, you have a good plan or what seems like a good plan. Um, I was reading something this morning that talked about how this simply move, moves the stage from a federal to a more local level. Um, but that's, that's what it is. It just moves the debate to... Um, a, a smaller stage, but many more stages. And so this, this history of gerrymandering in this country, it's long. It's extensive. We are not very good at it. We've shown that time and time again, that depending on who's in power, that it's likely that they will try to sway this to their advantage. So um, I am hopeful that Colorado's new approach could do a better, um, provide a better example for that. It sounds like so is the Supreme Court, so that's always nice. But I think we're going to need a few more election cycles to prove that we actually deserve that praise. 
That's a good point. Now, we had a fourth for bridge scheduled. Our friend Megan Schrader, the Denver Post, was set to join us. She had something come up here on Friday on the day of the taping, which happens from time to time. So we hope all is well with her, and uh, we will see her sometime soon down the road. The Democratic Party held their first presidential debates this week with some unexpected candidates rising and others falling. In the first debate on Wednesday, Senators Elizabeth Warren and Cory Booker, along with Julian Castro, did pretty well. Thursday night's debate featured former Colorado Governor John Hickenlooper and Senator Michael Bennett, kind of making up the bookends of the debate. Um, Bennett got more airtime than Hickenlooper, but Senator Kamala Harris gained most of the headlines coming out of the debate. Uh, Patty... uh, when uh, my wife looked at all the different uh, reports coming out of the debate, what does this mean if Biden this or Harris that or anything else? And my answer was, it's June. It is June of 2019. We have a long way to go. So my personal opinion is that while it provided a lot of great political theater, what it means is very little. I could be wrong. What do you think? I think it does make some people pay attention who might not have been paying attention before because it's easy. So Wednesday night, just because of luck in the draw, it looked like Snow White and the Nine Dwarfs. Elizabeth Warren, who was the best, who's certainly polling pretty well and was doing very well recently, looked very reasonable up there. You could see people jockeying for position. Um, Cory Booker was obviously, everyone who was speaking Spanish basically was jockeying for position. So there weren't a lot of surprises on that night, except maybe that Beto O'Rourke was as dull as he was. Last night's was the wild one. I thought, you know, Kamala Harris has done very well in a lot of her public appearances. She's a good speaker, but I did not expect her to do quite as well as she did. She definitely stole the show last night. Whether or not you agree with her, she's a really good public speaker. She knew how to go on the offensive. She knew when to use a joke. We will not see any food fights at this table. Uh, She did a really good job. Hickenlooper was surprisingly lackluster. It could have been because of the rays of nuttiness coming at him from both sides because he had the misfortune to be between Marianne Williamson and Andrew Wang, and that was definitely the wingnut side of the party. It was, He only had, what, five minutes, I think. You uh-huh. could tell he was pushing his experience in Colorado. He got his talking points out there, scientist twice, never, never beer, which I think he should have poured out. He needed to put in the beer experience. But talked about Colorado and some of the gains Colorado had made. Bennett did okay. He went over, you know, unlike Biden, who would give up his time, Bennett definitely grabbed every second he could. But I think the technical... The debates themselves, the technology, was the biggest problem. The first night, things were going black. You couldn't see things. Last night, it was clear people couldn't hear the questions. And it was not just Biden and Sanders who couldn't hear it. I mean, there were people who just couldn't hear the questions. But those two wound up looking a lot more doddering than perhaps they really should have. David Bennett got, I think, about eight minutes of airtime versus Hickey Looper's five. Did either of them get, uh, do you think, the, any sort of bump? The, the next debate, as, as I think it's laid out, is you need to be polling at 2% in order to get on the stage. And right now, I think there's about seven candidates that meet the criteria, but that's, that was before the debates. Do you see uh, some momentum that either Michael Bennett or John Hickey Looper can glum onto after this debate? Mis amigas en sus casas. Quizás la Hawaiana Tulsi Gabbard será la ganadora. <laughs> Anything the, further? <laughs> the, the, the challenge is 
there's a lot of candidates in, in, in the past, if you can like be good at retail politics in uh, New Hampshire and Iowa, you can break through there with a, with a good finish. But the question is, can you survive long enough to get to New Hampshire and Iowa? And that is the, the with these debate thresholds, that's the question for the, the lowest tier candidates, including Hickenlooper and Bennett. And I think of, of all that group, the one who helped herself the most was Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, she got lots of internet searches on her uh, almost throughout the country. Uh, Cory Booker did well in the southeast on internet searches, but uh, she, she did very well elsewhere. She appeals to the, the same kind of voters in, in, to a degree that Rand Paul or Ron Paul uh, appealed to in the Republican primaries is their they don't mind internet, they're fine with international trade, but they're sick of so many troops being in so many countries, in so many wars for so long. Now you can argue for that as policy matter, but clearly that, that speaks to a, a, policy, a, a strong view that a lot of people have. She's got military experience, and she articulated that, that point of view very well. And besides that, she, unlike a lot of the other ones, like, I mean, Bernie's just the old man yelling, get off all my lawn, you uh, evil corporations. Uh, she has a very nice affect and, and a good style and sort of that very positive, humanistic uh, approach that Marianne Williamson brings without getting too much into new, new age fundamentalism. So if, if I were betting money on a long shot in the, you know, the London uh, markets, I would, I would take odds on, I would put some money down on Tulsi Gabbard and put in $50, maybe get, I don't know, 201, and uh, that she becomes president. She, um, for our Coloradans, I think they did respectively. They were both fighting in the, that uh, sanity lane, which is, <laughs> does not seem to be where the polls are indicating the party is at this point. Amy, Amy Klobuchar is in that to some degree. Uh, Tim Ryan from Ohio, John Delaney from Maryland uh, were also working on that in the, uh, the previous night. I think Bennett showed in the debate that if, if he were the nominee, he would have a good chance uh, of, of beating Trump. And that's partly because he refused, he is wisely saying, I'm not going to get the nomination if it's this poisoned chalice that is going to make me unelectable in the general election. You know, the point is not the honor of being the nominee. The point is of, of becoming president of the United States. So, for example, he opposes removing the criminal penalties uh, for illegally entering the United States by, by crossing the border not a, rather than coming in properly. Uh, he also very accurately said that this Medicare for all thing, uh, of Bernie and Kamala, it's to wipe out people's health insurance, and that would be terrible. Hick did a good job, too. I think he kind of fumbled on the climate. His climate answer, which, which he should have been stronger, but he also did a good job. Whether that's an, enough uh, to make them uh, leaders among the pro-sanity contingent, we'll have to see. Natasha, um Seeing Bennett's performance, it seemed like there's a lane for him, whether it's fiery or the, the senator talking insanity, whatever it's going to be, I could at least imagine a lane. Um, I don't see a lane for John Hickelooper right now, and I could just be being dense about this. Admittedly, I am not looking at this uh, 24 hours a day. Uh, do you see a lane for John Hickelooper right now? 
Um, no, I think then that's part of the problem. I, and, and I don't see a lane for many of the candidates that were on the stage. And I think that's what they're going to spend the next week or two probably really figuring out with their campaigns is how, how do we distinguish between this group that now the country has had an introduction to all of them? What makes me stand out? What is my lane? I do think um, Hickenlooper warmed up as the night went off, uh, went on. His, his initial questions were a little more shaky. Um, but by the end, I think he had hit his stride and felt a little bit more comfortable with what he was doing. Um, Bennett, interestingly, I think, um, stayed pretty focused on what the, his ultimate goal, but also what the party's ultimate goal is, which is to unseat Donald Trump. Um, but Bennett extended that to, to realizing that this also means taking back the Senate. And, and that was a conversation that was slightly different than what a lot of the other candidates focused on. So I can see him drilling down on that more because that question of not only how do we get someone in the White House, the, for Democrats, this is what they're asking, how do we get someone into the White House, but also how do we get it's, uh, the power to do what we want to do because all of these health care proposals are fine and, and wonderful to talk about, but they're not going to happen unless they have the support to do it. So I think the nuance on that is something that Bennett um, will be able to excel at and sort of, uh, I guess, breathe into, lean into as he goes through the rest of the campaign. One of the things I did was look at how would any of these candidates, any of the ones that are on both nights, play in Colorado? Because ultimately that's a question. And of course, we're going to spend time talking about our hometown favorites, but how would any of these people play um, on on our political landscape. And I think that's going to be interesting. Healthcare, which I already mentioned, was a huge topic. Obviously, uh, all the powers that have be have decided that that's the topic that we're going to spend the most of the time focusing on. But there are several others. Immigration, um, the, the, the gap between the poorest in our country and the richest in our country. These are, are things we're going to hear more and more about. The moment of last night, um, which has been all over the news today and I think will be a moment, a defining moment for Harris, was when she went after Biden to talk about his um, past work. What was interesting to me is a lot of people have talked about the diversity on the stage both nights. And in that moment, I, w- I, was, I was taken by the fact that we had a person speaking about how a policy made by another person on that stage affected them. And that age difference was something else, that generational difference. And, you know, we'll spend a lot of time in the next few months talking about electability, what what it takes. Do we need someone who looks exactly like Trump? Do, does, um, do the Democrats want to find somebody who looks different? And I think Harris made an argument for what she would bring to the table against a Donald Trump ticket um, versus Joe Biden. Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser submitted a motion to throw out a lawsuit filed against the state in Denver District Court on Thursday. The lawsuit stems from how the reading of a bill at length in the state house was handled procedurally. Weiser argues that the, the way it was handled did not harm House Republicans and that the lawsuit was filed after the House could do anything to remedy the issue. David, as we said before, you're the attorney here. Legally, what does it mean when the attorney general files a motion against the lawsuit? Where are we in this situation? Well, it's kind of hard for the people of Colorado to judge for themselves in that they apparently gave a copy of their brief to the Denver Post, which wrote a very nice article about it, apparently as an exclusive, but didn't post it on the attorney general's website or put out any press release about it so that people could read the, the contents themselves online. Our Colorado Constitution uh, of 1876 was based on people of both parties coming together and with high distrust of the legislature and knowing that whatever party was in power, there would be a lot of cheating. And so there's a lot of anti-cheating, pro-good government, slow down the legislative process uh, 
rules in our Constitution which are absolute. One of them is that a bill has to be read at length on the floor of the House at least twice unless there is unanimous consent to dispense with the reading. The, when the so-called red flag bill was being passed, there was a request for reading the instead of actually having it read. It's, it's not that long a bill. It wouldn't have taken days. It wasn't like the, you know, the statewide long bill, which does the, the appropriations. The leadership had, I think, two people reading it at the same time, which was unintelligible. And, of course, that's, that was later held, that similar kind of tactic was ruled to be a constitutional violation when the same thing was done in the Senate. The Attorney General, to his credit, like his predecessors, defends everything the Colorado state government does, no matter how implausible the legal arguments. They say, oh, well, you don't have standing because you, were, you weren't harmed. Well, of course you were harmed. As a legislator, you have a right to hear the bill read at length. And that's true even if you've memorized the bill and you could do the reading yourself. And then they say, oh, you, you waited too long to raise the issue. Well, you raised the issue at exactly the time when you're supposed to, when you made a motion and for reading, and it was violated. So we'll, we'll see if the courts follow the Constitution as a straight line. But if they do, this, this is an easy case uh, that the Attorney General will, will lose for his client who screwed up. Natasha, what do you think about the fact that we're seeing more lawsuits? It seems that the way that the Republicans in the minority in the legislature right now, you're seeing more lawsuits trying to gum up the works than mm -hmm. as a strategy. Am I reading that right? Uh, well, if it is a strategy and it, it does show problems with the way the laws were created, then it's a fruitful exercise. If it is um, not a fruitful exercise where it's being used to gum up the works, I think it's a totally different matter. I think in this case, um, the Attorney General is doing his job, defending the state, raising the question. The courts will figure out if there was um, some procedural questions that go into place here. The larger question, I think the, the I don't not the elephant in the room, but just sort of the, the, the bigger thought that maybe this is about more than procedure, that this is about whether we should have the red flag bill or not, is is more problematic. And I think even if it went down based on a procedural thing, it's just going to come back. I think that this has been in front of the, the state, it, well, it's been in, in the legislature enough times now, it is going to, to pass again and they'll do it correctly next time. So then it becomes a question of, well, are we wasting time or is this really something that Coloradans don't want? Um, I'm not sure that the opponents of it want to know the answer to that. Patty, what do you think? Is Phil Weiser doing the, the right thing by uh, this motion as the Attorney General of Colorado? Well, not by not sharing it. And let's remember, in 1876, when Colorado became a state, we weren't thinking about copiers, much less thinking about the internet. You can now go read any bill you want to, unlike, say, Phil Weiser's motion, which apparently wasn't put up. So we're just talking about a procedural thing that clearly was used to gum up the works. Now, it is in the Constitution, so what we should look at before we get into another controversial bill like this is maybe it's time to get rid of some of these procedural things that no longer have any application in the world where you do have instant access to every bill. It's your responsibility as a legislator to read it, not have it read to you like it's some little fairy tale. This past Sunday, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement activity was high around Denver and the surrounding areas. President Donald Trump had commanded ICE to conduct a series of raids in 10 U.S. cities, including Denver, but postponed the sweeps for two weeks. Mayor Michael Hancock assured citizens that Denver police and the city of Denver had not received advance notice of ICE activity and would not assist in any roundups. 
Natasha, is Mayor Michael Hancock handling this the right way? Well, he's had a lot of time to think about it. I mean, this is something uh, 5280 asked him during the campaign. I think um, in addition to him, uh, several elected officials around Denver and around the state have all asked the question, too, of what would you do in this sort of scenario? How would you help or not help in, in this situation? So they've all gone on the record about it, and it appears that imminently, perhaps in two weeks, we might have to make, um, they might have to show what, what they're actually going to do. Um, what is interesting, though, is it seems to become becoming a habit for President Trump. Trump, a sort of tactic of um, getting everything geared up. I'm going to do something really big, and then I didn't. Look how generous I am in not doing it. I hope that that is not a repeated um, pattern, um, and uh, we'll see if it if it becomes so. Uh, if the race become a reality, Patty, does that affect? I mean, it clearly affects a lot of people in Colorado. Does it affect the politics in Colorado? Well, certainly, because you've still got problems going on in El Paso County, cases with the ACLU on whether or not they're going to comply with ICE or they're going to comply with Colorado policy. So in this case, it's interesting when we talk about 1876 technology. How about the fact that Donald Trump used tweets and like, never mind, just a drill, come back, come back in two weeks. But that's how everyone found out it was off. It had leaked that Denver was one of the 10 cities the day before. And then Trump uh, just tweeted that it was off. So... People had a little fire drill. They could get ready. But definitely the immigration, the immigrant community is concerned. Law enforcement is concerned because everyone is trying to figure out exactly what their position is on this. David, what do you think of the various positions we're seeing here, not only from President Trump but from Mayor Hancock and really everybody in between? Well, Mayor Hancock has a very strong legal position uh, that he doesn't have to use Denver city of, uh, employees to help federal governments and federal officials enforce a federal law. And I hope he sends a thank you note to former Republican Colorado Attorney General Gail Norton. Uh, I wrote a draft of an amicus brief that then was filed by the Colorado Attorney General's office and other state attorneys general in the Prince versus United States case in the mid-1990s in the U.S. Supreme Court, where only something we should have won 5-9-0, but ended up winning 5-4, was Congress can't order local sheriffs or police chiefs to carry out federal background checks on handgun buyers. If you want a federal background check, go go hire federal employees and do it. You can't You can't conscript uh, state and local officials in, into doing that, and that's been a, that's the genius of our system of dual sovereignty is uh, the states and the, derivatively the local governments have their own choices. On the policy substance, Mike, Mayor Hancock's position seems to be de facto unlimited open borders in the sense you can come here, and the only people Trump was talking about, even his, in his big talk, no action, was people who have a final order of removal entered against him. So if you can come here illegally and then you get an order of removal after all the due process and you still stay here, what's the point of having uh, a border at all? Just let everybody come here and all the Democrats promise them free medical care. Uh, Let's be honest and just uh, simplify the system. Likely not the last time we'll talk about this issue. Uh, Let's get to our very fair part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. Well, no sooner had Donald Trump talked with Putin about how nice it would be to get rid of the journalists that on the East Coast right now, even as we tape this, there's a memorial underway for the five journalists who were killed a year ago today at the Capitol Journal. So let's remember what journalists do and how important they are to democracy. They're here. David. 
the regressive extremist leftists who protested Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos speaking at the James Irwin High School uh, charter school in Colorado Springs, a school uh, that is has a very large population of people of color and students on, on free and, and reduced lunches and with their extreme vulgarity and F-words and all that. They're supposedly for democracy, which I guess in their view means shutting uh, disadvantaged people out of the opportunity for a better education at a public school. Natasha. It's been a topic at this conversation already. I'm, I'm afraid it might become a disgrace of the week at this rate, but as someone who recently flew out of DIA and watching the news slowly trickle out about what exactly is happening there, obviously mediation, this is going to be a long-term discussion, um, but I would make a plea for as much information as possible so Denverites know what's happening with this very important asset to our city and in the entire metro region. Tennessee, something nice about somebody? Patty? Happy birthday to Lakewood, which just marked its 50th birthday. And now on July 2nd, faces one of the major challenges of its five decades, which is the growth uh, vote, which is up July 2nd. Uh, vote, you're going to have to deliver your ballot right now if you haven't already voted. And there's only one place you can deliver it, which is City Hall. So that's not the smartest move Lakewood's made, but it's a really important vote. David. Susie Aikman and this station, which gave her a professional home for, for two decades, and I th one of the reasons she was a good fit here was she had a lot of positive and constructive energy. One of the things she did, besides being floor director, was she had a, uh, a weekly program on, on American Indian issues, and, and she really showed how to add diversity without being negative. She hosted Alternative Voices for years. It was, if it was a Sunday, it was Meet the Press, it was Susie Aikman. She beat it by a couple hours, so she was here at 7 o'clock in the morning on Kuvu every Sunday. It's a good, uh, uh, well said. Natasha. Um, I haven't done it yet, so I'm going to give a shout-out to the U.S. women's soccer team. Um, whether they win today or not, um, they are just such an inspiration for, for athletes around the country and around the world. Here, here. Well, next week is very special us here at the Roundtable. It is our last trip in the CIO time machine. This time we go back to 1923 when Denver had just elected Benjamin Stapleton mayor with the help of a variety of folks in town. It's dealing with prohibition and a new kind of music is sweeping the nation, jazz. And it has a surprising uh, central point here in Denver, which I think you're going to be excited to take a look at it. Check it out next week, Friday, July 5th. You will not want to miss it. That explains the, 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 the lack of the goatee because William Doc Reynolds from KLZ Radio, who was the first radio station in Denver, he founded it right outside of his, inside his house on University Boulevard. That was uh, the first radio station in Denver, and he had a mustache, not a goatee. So you'll uh, be sure to check it out July 5th. It's a great show. Also, I want to give a quick shout-out to our listeners at KDNK and the entire community radio station in Carbondale, reaching listeners in Aspen, Basalt, Carbondale, Glenwood Springs, Leadville, Redstone, Rifle, and beyond. Colorado Inside Out is now on Tuesdays at 4 p.m. on KDNK, and we're proud to be featured on our radio partners up in the Roaring Fork Valley. When you are in Carbondale, stop in at KDNK and tell Gavin, the general manager, hello. He'll, he'll love to see you. It's one of the coolest radio stations I've ever seen, and they do a fantastic job. We're happy and very proud to be part of their schedule every Tuesday at 4 p.m. That is all we, to the time we have for this episode of Colorado Inside Out. For everyone here at CPT12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Have a wonderful 4th of July. Mom and Dad, happy anniversary. Good night.